All right, well, let's get started here. Um, why don't I open in prayer, and then we'll, we'll dive in here. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for another opportunity to gather together on a Lord's Day to worship you, our living triune God. Father, thank you even for this Christmas season where we can gather together and remember uh, the mystery of the incarnate one, uh, Jesus Christ, God with us. And Father, just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to um, just marvel at this mystery of the Christ child, come to save his people from their sins. Father, help us even now as we just uh, look a little bit more at uh, David Brainerd in this Sunday school hour. Just pray, Lord, uh, even as we look at uh, some of the things I've been researching over the past uh, year, year and a half, that this could be a fruitful and edifying, even encouraging for us. I just help my voice, Lord, as I just continue to um, just getting over a cough. Just uh, pray that you'd help me now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so for those of you who were here two Sundays ago, I got a chance to sort of open up a little bit. I've, I basically got two Sunday schools to share a little bit about my Master of Theology research project on David Brainerd. So who was here two Sundays ago? Some of you folks. What I'm going to do, this is going to be the final Sunday on this topic. Basically what it is is I'm just uh, had opportunity to share a little bit about what my research project was, what my research aims uh, were, and I'm going to sort of give a little bit of uh, a conclusion of, of sort of what I, where I landed on this research project. Um, so for those of you who were not here two Sundays ago for the first Sunday school, I'm just going to do a little bit of a review here and then we'll sort of get going and you will have to forgive me if I have a coughing fit, which I'm praying I won't. <coughs> So, you can see on the handout there, uh, review first session slash research aim. So, David Brainerd, uh, a missionary to the natives west of the New England colonies during the time of the Great Awakening, so picture 1740s. We're talking about the western regions of the New England colonies. So, this is before America had become a country, right? Um, they were th these were c considered British colonies. <coughs> Um, I introduced David Brainerd and just mentioned how uh, he has been remembered by the church because of his diary, which was left in the hands of Jonathan Edwards. Now, I mentioned David Brainerd, he died in Jonathan Edwards' house in 1747 as a 29-year-old of tuberculosis. So he ended up in Jonathan Edwards' home, one of the great uh, uh, pastor theologians of the Great Awakening. And what happened is, is Edwards received Brainerd, Brainerd's diary. Brainerd actually wanted his diary to be destroyed. There was certain confidential information in there that he wasn't um, the most proud of. His friends prevailed upon him and, and insisted that he leave his diary in Edwards' care after his death. And so Brainerd agreed to that. So his diary was supposed to be destroyed. However, it wasn't. Jonathan Edwards got his hands on the diary, and Edwards, having read the diary, thought that this stuff was just pure gold, and it ha so he saw to its editing and publishing. That's how we know about David Brainerd in our day. I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. Who has heard of David Brainerd? 
quite a few folks. So David Brainerd, so for the past 275 years there, and I would suggest for the past 150 years after Brainerd's death, his life and influence upon subsequent generations of missionaries and Christians has been absolutely massive, monumental. So I gave an example uh, a couple of Sundays ago of uh, William Carey, <coughs> excuse me, often referred to as the forefather of the modern missionary movement in the English-speaking world, in a common agreement with his fellow missionaries in India. So they basically had a contract that they agreed to. They went over this contract three times a year. And in this contract, one of the points was this, quote, let us often look at Brainerd in the woods of America pouring out his very soul before God for the perishing heathen, without whose salvation nothing could make him happy, end quote. So that's William Carey speaking of David Brainerd. So William Carey thought very highly of David Brainerd. <coughs> so we can see then Brainerd has been very much loved and esteemed by the evangelical church uh, since his death, even up to the modern day, though not so much, I, I would say, in the past hundred years. However, this is moving to uh, point 1A on your handout. There are Br Brainerd has many detractors now. So as I mentioned a couple Sundays ago, the 20th century has seen a number of historians who have voiced a markedly different perspective on David Brainerd. So for example, Ola Winslow, Jonathan Edwards' biographer in the first half of the 20th century, said this of Brainerd, quote, thanks to Jonathan Edwards, he had become the saintly example of the ideal missionary. And I think I, you have this quote. To a modern reader, he's an example of the exact opposite. His story can hardly be read with composure, much less with admiration, end quote. So in what has become the so that's Ola Winslow. In what has become the standard scholarly work on Brainerd since 1985, so it's the Yale University Press edition of the life of David Brainerd. Norman Pettit, editor um, of that work, provides in, in, in his introduction basically a his historical account of Brainerd, Edwards, and so on. Norman Pettit said this of Brainerd. He said, um, contrary to many historians, Brainerd was not the foremost missionary of his times, and his failure in the field has rarely been stressed. Accordingly, for Pettit, he suggests that Brainerd was, in fact, quote, unfitted for missionary work. So we saw this last week, or a couple weeks ago as well. Um, we saw how this shift in sentiment towards Brainerd has caused the historian Paul Harris to state that Brainerd's admirers of old would be shocked to hear these assessments of Brainerd by modern historians. So elsewhere, Harris has stated that Pettit's understanding of Brainerd in this regard puts him, quote, at odds with generations of mission personnel. So because of this, Harris asks why Pettit's contemporary ideas about missionary qualifications seem to differ so much from that of previous generations. Well, for my part, it was after reading and appreciating Brainerd's work and then discovering his detractors for my, that for my research project, I wanted to zero in on Brainerd and his missionary qualifications or lack thereof. 
is what I discovered in, in reading Brainerd. And I was looking for a dissertation topic, so this is why I landed on this one. So point C, research aims. Um, yeah, so first, I sought to offer my own answer to Paul Harris's question that I just shared. So again, he asked why Pettit's contemporary ideas about mystery qualifications seem to differ so much from that of previous generations. So in other words, you've got Brainerd's 18th century admirers, you've got Brainerd's 20th century detractors, and there's a vast difference in their perception or understanding of missionary qualifications. And I'm wanting to zero in on that and address, uh, ask the question, why? So my second and primary research aim then was to ask whether or not David Brainerd was in fact qualified to be a missionary. And based on the conclusion to ask the corresponding question, should David Brainerd be regarded by the 21st century church, uh, 21st century evangelical church, as an exemplary missionary. So moving on then, point D there. I'd, I've got this uh, three-step analytical grid that I developed. It's not rocket science. It's simply looking at this. First of all, the assessments um, and arguments based by Brainerd's 20th century uh, detractors and his 18th century admirers. So these historians are making assessments of Brainerd. Brainerd is this, here's why. No, 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 Brainerd is this, here's why. So basically looking at their assessments. Second point of this sort of analytical grid was based on the assessments made of Brainerd, I sought to identify the criteria or standard that both his detractors and buyers were using as they're making their assessments of him. Third, what I did then is compare the criteria, the criteria that seems to emerge that is, is informing their assessments of him. I compared that criteria against the scriptures. What do the Christian scriptures say about Christian missionary qualifications? Now I know it's Sunday morning. If this all sounds confusing, this is too heavy. What I'm going to do now for the rest of the Sunday school hour is just simply give an example, w one example um, that Brainerd's detractors use and one example of, of uh, Brainerd's admirers and then compare it to the scriptures. So we're going to go through this three-step analytical grid and it's just going to be a little bit, um, one example of, of a topic that I dealt with in my dissertation. So if you flip your page there now, we're going to dive in. So point two. Example of argument made by Brainerd's 20th century detractors. So this is the assessment that I found from multiple historians in the 20th century. Brainerd himself questioned his own qualifications for missionary service. Therefore, he wasn't qualified to be a missionary. Let me say it again. Brainerd himself questioned his own qualifications for missionary service. Therefore, he wasn't qualified to be a missionary. This is one of the assessments that these historians are making of Brainerd. So Norman Pettit demonstrates that Brainerd himself, quote, questioned at times his qualifications for missionary life, end quote. 
For example, after Brainerd was first examined by the Scottish Society, I mentioned them a couple Sundays ago, that's the missionary board essentially that hired David Brainerd to be a missionary in the New England colonies to the natives of his day. After Brainerd was examined by the Scottish Society on November 25, 1743, in order to enter into missionary work, he, he could say this. So this is Brainerd, quote, I was made sensible of my great ignorance and unfitness for public service. Alas, methought how sadly they're deceived in me, how miserably would they be disappointed if they knew my inside. So this is Brainerd. This is sort of his own self-assessment. On January 23rd, 1744, uh, Brainerd makes this statement, again, expressing grave concerns about his future missionary work. So this is January 23rd, 1744. Brainerd said, quote, I thought I should be ashamed to go among the very savages of Africa. I appeared to myself a creature fit for nothing, neither heaven nor earth. So that's Brainerd himself. So, and I just mentioned, this is something I mentioned a couple of Sundays ago. Brainerd, Brainerd did struggle with what, and he had, he likely had what we would call in our day clinical depression. So this, and they called it melancholy in his day. He, he suffered from melancholy. So this just adds to sort of the intrigue, I would suggest, of a character like Brainerd. There's all sorts of controversial things about him. So that quote then, he says, again, I thought I should be ashamed to go among the very savages of Africa. I appeared to myself a creature fit for nothing, neither heaven nor earth. So such heart-wrenching statements as these caused Norman Pettit, one of Brainerd's attractors, to claim that Brainerd, throughout his mission, was, quote, chiefly occupied with thoughts of his own pollution and defects in the eyes of infinite purity. In no other diary of the time do we have such striking evidence of a man so thoroughly divided against himself, end quote. And if anyone has ever read Brainerd's diary, you would know something of that. So moreover, because of Brainerd's ongoing mental and spiritual battles, Pettit claims that Brainerd, quote, disliked much of his work and was tempted to accept offers of a pastorate in a, in a settled community, end quote. So Brainerd did indeed uh, serve very effectively uh, in his own culture, in his own language, in his day between the time of his being hired by the Scottish Society to, to be a missionary and is actually being sent out as a missionary. Um, so in light of this, Pettit, uh, Brainerd's detractor, demonstrates that, quote, in spite of his commitment to the missionary life, he was wanted, needed, and effective on his native ground, and he had in his own society the strength to endure the ministerial life. So Pettit also demonstrates, however, that Brainerd was at this point committed to the Scottish society and, quote, to his continuing work in the mission field. But this commitment, it should be said, by now, had become a serious worry in his life, end quote. So even after Brainerd entered into missionary life and persevered in it until his death, or rather until his health no longer allowed him to continue, 
Pettit suggests that Brainerd yearned, quote, for a settled community, end quote. In conclusion, Norman Pettit suggests that Brainerd was a much better fit for a pastorate in his own society, his own culture, and he was, quote, never happy in his task, end quote. That's a very strong statement coming from Norman Pettit. He was never happy in his task as a missionary. So for Pettit then to draw this assessment to a conclusion, because Brainerd's work as a missionary seemed to exacerbate both his sickness and depression, and it fueled his questioning for his missionary qualifications, he perhaps should not have been out on the mission field in the first place. This is the assessment by Norman Pettit. So that's his assessment. Now, as a slight aside, I'm just going to give a little example of uh, an area where I think Pettit was actually um, not overly fair towards Brainerd. So th this is an example of, of how Brainerd actually eventually came to feel about his missionary work. So March 10th, 1744, after he'd been in the field for some time, Brainerd himself said this, quote, My soul was sweetly resigned to God's disposal of me in every regard. And I saw there that nothing happened to me but was best for me. So that's Brainerd himself. And so wh when, when Pettit says that Brainerd was never happy in his task as a missionary, if, you, if you, any one of you is to pick up his diary and read it for yourself, you'd have to come to your own assessment. But I would suggest that Pettit at this point is being very unfair towards Brainerd. Brainerd, to be sure, had many uh, hard struggles. Um, but he came to a, to a place, as I just quoted, of being sweetly resigned to God's disposal of him. All right, so that's point A. Um, an example of an argument made by Brainerd's 20th century detractors. So what, what criteria does this, um, what criteria sort of rises to the surface based on this assessment? Well, this is the way I've put it. According to Pettit, he would say a missionary candidate must have no doubts as to being qualified for the task. You see that there? A missionary candidate must have no doubts as to being qualified for the task. So let's move on to point three now. Example of argument made by Brainerd's 18th century admirers. So this is their assessment of Brainerd. <coughs> Notice the contrast. Brainerd rightly understood he wasn't sufficient for the task. <laughs> Brainerd rightly understood he wasn't sufficient for the task. <laughs> so if Norman Pettit thought Brainerd's feelings of in insufficiency for the task of missionary work a disqualifying factor, one of the things I'm going to demonstrate now is that Brainerd's 18th century admirers thought this rather to be a qualifying factor for him. So in Edwards, Jonathan Edwards' appendix, again, Jonathan Edwards edited and, pub and saw to the publishing of the life of David Brainerd. So he includes an appendix in the back of his work with observations uh, about Brainerd. So he says this, his fifth point of observation in the appendix to the life of David Brainerd. This is Edwards' quote. Is there not much in the preceding memoirs of Mr. Brainerd to teach and excite to duty 
us who are called to the work of the ministry and all that are candidates for that great work. How sensible was he of his own insufficiency for this work and how great was his dependence on God's sufficiency. How solicitous that he might be fitted for it. I think you have that quote on your handout. <coughs> so for Edwards, Brainerd's feelings of, of insufficiency for the task were good and necessary because they caused Brainerd to rely on God's sufficiency. This reality was spoken of as well by Ebenezer Pemberton. So I, I, I mentioned him a couple Sundays ago as well. Ebenezer Pemberton, he was the president of the New York Board of the Scottish Society. So again, Brainerd was hired by the Scottish Society for the Propagation of Christian Knowledge. Okay, well, why aren't they doing work in Scotland? Well, again, you've got to remember New, New England, British colonies, right? The Scottish Society was doing work in the New England colonies. Ebenezer Pemberton uh, was the president of the New York board of the Scottish Society. So Ebenezer Pemberton was one of the main guys that hired Brainerd. Ebenezer Pemberton also preached David Brainerd's ordination sermon when he first became a missionary. And Pemberton said this of Brainerd in his ordination sermon. This is a direct application to Brainerd. He said, quote, Methinks I hear you crying out, Who is sufficient for these things? And if indeed you had no strength to depend on but your own, you might justly sink down in despair. But it is at the command of Christ, the great head of the church, that you go forth, who by a train of surprising providences has been preparing your way for this important embassy. And therefore you may be assured that he will support you in a faithful discharge of your duty. End quote. So as we can see then, both Pemberton and Edwards seem to have a re rather realistic understanding of Brainerd's insufficiencies and weaknesses. They were, they were very aware that he was insufficient for the task. And they were even aware of his, own, of his own felt insufficiencies, even though Brainerd, it seems, didn't want really to make those known. So, however, as you can see, rather than this being a disqualifying factor for Brainerd's admirers, this is one of their qualifying factors. This is one of the assessments they're making of Brainerd. This is why they admire him. So in their mind, Jonathan Edwards, Ebenezer Pemberton, there's other examples, <coughs> like William Carey, they understood it to be the proper posture of a missionary to have a deep um, felt insufficiency for the task. For it's this posture that causes one to rely on God's sufficiency. You can see that there, it's pretty straightforward. So one example of, of this dynamic can be seen in Brainerd. There's many examples throughout his diary, uh, if you read it. There's a telling post from his diary on January 1st, 1746, reflecting upon his past year of missionary work. So January 1st, New Year's Day. The post begins, quote, this is Brainerd. I am this day beginning a new year, and God has carried me through numerous trials and labors in the past. Oh, that I might live nearer to God this year than I did the last. The business I have been called to and enabled to go through, I know has been as great as nature could bear up under. 
and what would have sunk and overcome me quite without special support. All right. So that's the assessment of, uh, that's, that's one example of an assessment made by Brainerd's 18th century admirers and then Brainerd himself basically supporting that evidence, I would say. So what's the identification of the criteria there? We're about halfway down on your handout, back of the page. 3B, identification of criteria. What would Jonathan Edwards and Ebenezer Pemberton and others say um, was right about Brainerd? What would, they, what would they say when they're looking for a missionary candidate? Well, a missionary candidate must have a sense of one's own insufficiency when, ma when faced with the missionary task. I think that's a fair statement based on what we've seen. All right, so we're going to move to point four, comparative analysis with the Christian scriptures. So we're going to look at both the assessment by his detractors and, it is, and his admirers now and see how they compare to the scriptures. So let's flip to 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians now. We're going, to, we're going to hang out in 2 Corinthians. You flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <coughs> So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is recounting his missionary travels here. You've got to remember, the Apostle Paul himself was a missionary. He's recounting his missionary travels. And what we get here are some uh, very um, sort of heart-wrenching insights into the Apostle Paul's own struggles. So in chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, Paul is recounting his missionary travels and, quote, uh, the affliction we experienced in Asia. That's 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. In light of that affliction, he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Notice that. We despaired of life itself itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. So evidently, the Apostle Paul himself experienced moments of deep despair during his missionary endeavors, even moments of deep despair where he could say that he, he, he would rather die. If you think I'm being uh, overstating the point, he says it himself. We despaired of life itself. So, and I would just point out that this despair was felt in the context of the challenges and trials of bringing the gospel to a different culture, to a different context. Well, in the same missionary context, flip over to chapter 2. Paul asks a very telling question concerning himself and his ministry partners when he says this, 2 Corinthians uh, 2.16b. He asks this, this million-dollar question, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? 
Now that word rendered sufficient in the ESV is hikonos. I think you have this in your handout. Hikonos in the Greek, which could also be rendered as competent or qualified. So this word is also used multiple times by Paul a little later. So flip to chapter 3 now. Chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6, Paul says this, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be made ministers of a new covenant. I think it might be the 2007 edition of ESV that actually says who has made us competent. So the translators switch it there. I don't know if you guys, some of you guys have the 2007 version. <clears throat> well, here in this surprising passage, Paul, not only as a missionary, but as the apostle to the Gentiles. We're talking about the apostle to the Gentiles. He wrote half of the New Testament. He's openly admitting that he was not, in and of himself, sufficient for the task. His sufficiency was from God. So if this is true for the Apostle Paul, I would suggest that it should not be surprising that it was true for a man like David Brainerd, right? Interestingly, Brainerd actually appeals to this passage in his, in his diary. So he says, quote, I am of late, most of all, concerned for ministerial qualifications, and I want grace to imitate the life, labors, and sufferings of St. Paul among the heathen that I may become an able minister of the New Testament or the New Covenant, especially to the heathen. So that's, your, that, that, that's Brainerd actually quoting 2 Corinthians 3.6 in his diary. So this missionary posture then articulated by Brainerd here, it was not an isolated statement either. You see this all throughout his diary. So on the one hand, he could say, quote, My soul longed for assistance from above all the while, for I saw I had no strength sufficient for that work, end quote. On the other hand, he could say, God remains unchangeably powerful and faithful, a sure and sufficient portion and the dwelling place of his children in all generations, end quote. So if the Apostle Paul himself expressed feelings of insufficiency for the task, which caused him to rely more heavily on God's sufficiency, well, then contrary to Norman Pettit, Brainerd's similar feelings would seem to fall well within the bounds of a biblically qualified missionary. This is one of the conclusions I came to. Let's flip to 2 Corinthians 4 now. He, Paul just keeps going in this, in this book, in this letter. 2 Corinthians 4. So here, the Apostle Paul, he employs this metaphor of jars of clay. Many of you are familiar with this passage, this beautiful passage. So jars of clay, what, what is that? What, what are those? Weak and fragile vessels. Weak and fragile vessels. So here, the Apostle Paul, having established that the Christian has received from God the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, verse 6, what does he say in verse 7? This treasure, um, 
he goes on to say that the ministers of the gospel have this treasure in jars of clay to show that what? The surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Verse 7. See that there? So in other words, God in his providence has actually ordained the use of jars of clay, weak vessels, for the spread of his gospel. That's actually, it's, it's actually by his design. God has chosen to use weak vessels, fallen and yet redeemed people, to make it glaringly obvious that any perceived strength or sufficiency is from him. It's not in the worker. It's not in the missionary. It's not in the pastor. It's not in the, the Christian. This reality is made yet more clear as you go on in 2 Corinthians 4 there. Paul says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that, look at this, the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10. Well, later still, let's flip to chapter 12 now. Later still in 2 Corinthians, Paul shares a very personal experience of pleading with the Lord Jesus Christ to have this thorn in the flesh removed from him. And what was Jesus' answer? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Jesus' own words. He says, in answering to Paul, he said, My grace is sufficient for you for what? My power is made perfect in weakness. Now notice this. This is the fascinating thing about the context here in 2 Corinthians. You see evidence of Paul's weaknesses, felt insufficiencies, sufferings, afflictions all throughout the letter and the sufficiency of God in the midst of it. What was Paul speaking to? What, 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 issue was, what was one of the issues that Paul was speaking to um, in 2 Corinthians to the Corinthian church? Well, the Corinthians were being influenced by the so-called super apostles to doubt the authenticity of Paul's apostleship. Why? Because of his weaknesses and sufferings. That's one of the things that Paul's addressing in 2 Corinthians. The super apostles are coming through town and trying to convince the Corinthians, oh, look at this guy. He's not, he's not a, how could this guy be an apostle? Look at his weakness. Look at his afflictions. Look at his sufferings. He's not the real deal. And, and part of what Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians is coming along and saying, no, 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 no. This is actually by God's design. This is by God's design. And it displays his power. His power is made evident in the midst of my weakness. And the gospel goes forth. Well, to close then, this criterion of uh, Brainerd's 18th century admires that a missionary candidate ought to have a sense of one's own insufficiency when faced with a missionary task uh, seems to be strongly supported and endorsed by the scri Christian scriptures. And that's just sort of a nerdy, scholarly way of saying that um, I think Brainerd's 18th century admirers were right. That's just the way you sound when you're writing an academic paper. So research aims answered, point five. 
So why then did Paul Harris ask why Pettit's contemporary missionary ideas about missionary qualifications seem to differ so much from that of previous generations? Well, Harris has offered his own answer, it's in a journal article, it would seem that this great disparity is owing to the significantly different source of authority the differing parties appeal to when they're developing their criteria of Brainerd. That's what it is. They're appealing to a different source of authority. So on the one hand, what you see very clearly is 18, Brainerd's 18th century admirers consistently appeal to the Christian scriptures when making their assessments of Brainerd and developing their standards of, of what qualifies a missionary. The 20th century detractors, I, I mean, in my reading of these guys, and I read, there's four or five different historians that in my opinion um, seem to throw Brainerd under the bus. Th there is next to no interaction with the Christian scriptures as they're developing their um, assessments of him and as their sort of criteria sort of rises to the surface. So what does that mean? Well, they're, they're making their assessments based on some other source of authority. And in my opinion, a lot of it is actually pop psychology. He doesn't fit the mold for the big, super-duper, you know, 18th century lumberjack missionary. <laughs> uh, therefore, he was not qualified. So the Christian mission finds its origin, authority, and explanation, including the character of the missionary from the Christian scriptures. Consequently, to fail to appeal to the scriptures when assessing Brainerd reveals a major weakness in the arguments put forward by his 20th century detractors. Though counterintuitive to the mind outside of the influence of the scriptures, um, when looking to the scriptures to speak to this topic, I basically suggest that Brainerd seems to fall well within the bounds of a qualified missionary. Now, I know even for us as Christians here, with our modern sensitivities, looking at Brainerd's struggles and everything else, to be sure, there are questions there of, you know, should he ha actually have been out there? But I think, um, looking back in retrospect, we can see that the Lord used him mightily. So yes, he was a man who suffered both physically and mentally, and he often felt insufficient for the task. But in the midst of that, he relied that much more heavily on the Lord's sufficiency. And as we saw when we looked at the scriptures, this is very often the case for those who have gone before laboring for the advance of the gospel and the kingdom of God. More than that, I think we can very clearly see from 2 Corinthians, the God of the Bible very often chooses to use weak vessels like Brainerd to display the sufficiency of his grace and to show that the surpassing power belongs to him and not to us, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Therefore, and this is, this is sort of uh, coming to the conclusion, this is largely how I concluded my, my dissertation in answering the research, the second research aim. Therefore, since the Christian scriptures do not change, modern-day Christians ought to be encouraged that, even in light of some critical assessments of Brainerd in the modern day, he still ought to be understood as an exemplary missionary, shortcomings and all, and there were shortcomings, to be sure. 
Moreover, the evangelical church of the 21st century still ought to be able to, de to derive encouragement and inspiration for the Great Commission from David Brainerd as Christians have in centuries past. So that's the conclusion of my um, Sunday School on Brainerd. Hopefully that will at the very least maybe even just whet your appetite to go read him uh, for yourself. Um, a couple Sundays ago I suggested, if you, so the, the challenge with the life of David Brainerd is it's public domain. So one of the things I mentioned actually is it was, it was um, first published in 1749. It's Jonathan Edwards' most popular work and it has never been out of print. It's never been out of print, 1749. And I think one of the reasons why missionaries and Christians have been so greatly encouraged by Brainerd over the centuries is because we can relate to him. And, and, and we can see the Lord sustaining him through that work. So he's a very inspiring uh, person to read. What I was going to mention is, so the book was first uh, published in 1749, never been out of print. The challenge now is it's public domain. So what does that mean? Well, any, any publisher and their dog could go get his stuff and publish their own sort of garbage copy. And a lot of it, he's been edited down so much over the years. So all that to say, what I would suggest if you want to read Brainerd is there's a, there's a very good edition put out by Banner of Truth. Banner of Truth, it's both his diary and his journal. So his journal is a little bit different than his diary. His journal was written for the Scottish Society because they wanted to have missionary records of his endeavors. So the Banner of Truth edition would be a really good edition, a really good copy to get your hands on. <coughs> if you're interested in reading Brainerd. So we've got um, maybe 10 minutes or so. I could, I could take some questions if people have questions. Alan? Yeah. Yeah, so what were Brainerd's shortcomings? So I mean, actually, one of the things I was going to mention, too, if any, anyone really feels like plodding through an academic paper, what I was going to do is just post my dissertation on CCB. So people could, if you're a reader, you're interested in this stuff, you could dig into it and check it out. And I go into more detail about Brainerd's weaknesses to a degree there or his shortcomings. The, the other um, critical assessments of Brainerd that some, some of his detractors make are he was sick and depressed, and his motivation was wrong. His motivation for being out there was wrong. And the fascinating thing about that is you get the whole spectrum of opinion. So there's three different historians that I deal with that all say that Brainerd's motivations for being a missionary were wrong. However, there's no consensus in their reason for why his motivations were wrong. All that to say, as far as his shortcomings go, I mean, one of them would be, so a couple of weeks ago when I did my first Sunday school, he, um, just in, in, in the, in the, as the Great Awakening was picking up steam, he eventually sided with, with the new lights, right? So you had the old lights who were, who were against what was happening in the Great Awakening. They thought it wasn't an authentic work of God. You had the new lights, right, who were very supportive of the Awakening, and then within the New Light camp, you had uh, the separatists and the moderates, right? So the moderates would be a guy like Jonathan Edwards, who was uh, very, he, he was convinced that the Awakening was a work of God. 
there were many hundreds, even thousands of people being converted and saved. And yet there was very clearly um, false work happening as well at the same time. The, the, uh, the separatists within the New Light camp, for a time when Brainerd was at Yale, he would have fallen within that camp. So they were very anti-authority. They thought that largely most of the clergy, most of the, the pastors and churches, the pastors were unbelievers and the churches were not true churches. So it was a, it was a very um, uh, anti-authority movement. And Brainerd, he got caught up in that for a while, it seems, maybe a year or two. But then he came to deeply regret his involvement in that. And like I mentioned a couple Sundays ago, that was one of the reasons why he, well, that was the reason why he was expelled from Yale. And that's another thing that they, his detractors use against him. He was expelled from Yale. So, you know, why, why is this guy, you know, he couldn't even finish school. The authorities booted him out. Why is he out on the mission field, right? So, I don't know if that's helpful or not, but. DJ? So an example of a disqualifying weakness. I mean, I think one of the things that you see in reading Brainerd, and one of the things that he really, um, one of the reasons he was so hard on himself, and as a, as, as a man who battled depression, he was too hard on himself, I think, if you read his diary. He, he, he abhorred the pride that he saw in his heart. So, I, but, but what that did then is it caused him to humble himself before God and, and ask the Lord to make him a humble man. So I would suggest that a, that a, that a weakness would be um, pride, <laughs> right? Like to, to, for, for a person to be entering into ministry, missionary work, whatever it is, pride is going to be a major, major issue. And the Lord, I mean, the Lord has ways, he has his ways of cutting us down, <laughs> right? He'll do that. Um, but if, if you're a proud man, you're not going to be able to work well with others. Um, and, y y you know, if you don't crash and burn, you're just going to be bouncing around and not really doing much meaningful work. I mean, I know that maybe doesn't sound like a weakness, but I, th I think through a Christian lens, it is. And then humility, obviously, is going to be a key strength. I don't know if that's a helpful answer. <laughs> uh, so it's the Banner of Truth edition of, uh, I believe they called it the, the Diary and Journal of David Brainerd. The Diary and Journal of David Brainerd. Banner of Truth edition. I mean, the original work by Jonathan Ebers is called The Life, the life, um, the life of David Brainerd. But you're, I mean, they, you're not going to want to buy the Yale edition because it's like 150 bucks. That's the one with the introduction by Norman Pettit. It's not worth buying that one. Yes, he did.
Yes. So that's a good point. So Rainey um, asks, did Brainerd do his missionary work alone? So in my, in my opinion, that would actually be one of the major weaknesses as well of Brainerd's missionary endeavors. He largely labored alone. It's actually one of the things that Edwards points out in the appendix to his work. He suggests that the Scottish society actually should have waited for Brainerd to get a missionary partner. So, so Brainerd basically, he deeply longed to have a missionary partner his entire time. The challenge was, was the Scottish society was digging around looking for candidates and barely anyone was stepping up, right? And I, I would suggest that's probably an issue in our day too. I mean, a lot of people in our day will apply to missionary agencies, but it doesn't mean that they're qualified, right? Um, and, and then even, I think it's, it is hard to find people who are ready and willing to do the hard work of, you know, say in our day going into the 1040 window, you know, in an unreached Muslim people group where your life is going to be threatened and so on. So Brainerd largely worked alone. Another thing about, I mean, he, he had a, a translator that he worked with. So that was his sidekick. And actually, really cool little fact, his translator and his wife, the translator's wife, were his first converts. Um... And, but yeah, one of the things that you see in his diary is he, he expressed that desire for a missionary partner consistently throughout his diary. It's pointed, Edwards pointed it out, like I said, that the Scottish society maybe should have um, waited to send them out two by two, which is the biblical model, to be sure. And then I, I would suggest, too, that part of Brainerd's battles were owing to the fact that he was alone a lot of the time. Yeah. Any other questions? Calvin? Right. Yes. Right. Yep. Yes. <laughs> That's a good point. Hundred percent. So, I mean, the challenge, though, of course, is anything that happens in 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 the academic world, you always get the trickle down effect to the church, right? Every time. So, I mean, the fundamentalist modernist controversy, for example, the 1920s, 1930s, you've got this major sort of um, breaking point in the scholarly world of these unbelieving scholars basically suggesting that the Bible is um, in error; it's not inspired. You know, the, the, anything supernatural is to be um, sort of thrown out and so on. So we could say, okay, well, yeah, that's just scholars saying that, and we don't care because we believe the Bible is true. 
The challenge is, 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 like it or not, what happens in the academic realm always trickles down to the church. It just does. So then part of what I'm doing here is just trying to make a case for, for the church uh, to still be able to um, appreciate a man like Brainerd in light of some of these arguments. So, because what you're going to see now is, like, when you, when you look at different journal articles and so on of Brainerd, and then, I mean, I, I have no doubt, I mean, I, I don't know to be, to be sure, but I'm sure that there would even be some popular works who are even casting some of these shadows on Brainerd now, too. Because that's what you get, right? You get the trickle-down effect. So this is just sort of part of a, um, it's almost an apologetic, in a sense, to look at this man biblically. Yeah. Maybe one more, DJ. Mm. Right. All right, well, we can close now. We've got about 20 minutes before the service. Why don't I pray? And then we can uh, have a bit of a break here. So, Father God, we do. <coughs> excuse me. We do uh, uh, just thank you and praise you for the way that you have worked in history, for the spread of the gospel. Father, we thank you for raising up men, even like Brainerd, weak uh, and needy though they were, and how you have uh, proven your strength and sufficiency. Yeah, uh, even in the midst of their weakness for the spread of the gospel. Father, we pray that you'd even raise up uh, many more David Brainerds in our day uh, for the spread of the gospel. Father, we know that you don't need us. Um, you will see to um, your son being honored and receiving the reward for his suffering. And yet, Father, we get to be part of this. We get to be part of uh, being the church of being gospel workers, of having the gospel on our lips and spreading the good news. So Father, even during this Christmas season, we pray that you would uh, grant us opportunities and that you'd grant us the courage that we need to share Christ with others. We want to see Christ honored and magnified. Uh, even in the hard places, Lord, we pray that you'd raise up missionaries, strengthen the church in Canada so that we could even once again be ascending chur uh, church that is sending qualified people um, to spread the good news. So be with us now. Prepare our hearts and our minds uh, for the main service. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>